0: Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville Church. If you are visiting with us this morning, we'd love to tell you about the ministry to get some information from you. There's a connection card underneath the seat in front of you, or there should be. You can fill that out either le- electronically or by pen and pencil or drop it in the box in the back, which is also where we take our offerings. Um, also, today is CF's birthday. <clears throat> He's excited about that. He's got a big smile on his face right now. (laughs) November the 12th. Also, Monty Penley. Is Monty in the room tonight. right now? It's his birthday as well. So, do we have any other November the 12th birthdays? Any? Somebody? Nobody? Okay. So, uh, it happens to be that CF and Monty both turned 39 today. On the same day, this incredible coincidence. And so if you see them, wish them a happy birthday. And uh, they look great for 39. So if you would turn to uh, John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Starting in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him and he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I Thank you for your truth. I pray, Lord, that you will be with CF and speak through him this morning. Even most importantly, that your Holy Spirit will speak through your word to us and let Lord that we will respond and have a desire to worship you for who you are. And we say this in your name. Amen.
1: Good morning, everybody. As David read that passage, if you'll go ahead and turn to John 1, we're going to take a look at it. If you're visiting with us, I'd like to welcome you here. We're doing a study through the Gospel of John. And today we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. We're going to see how Christ was rejected uh, by his own and by the world that he created. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll take a look at it, okay? Father God, we come before your throne of grace, and we thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity uh, to be here, to be a part of this service. And Lord God, we just ask for your blessings upon it, that you would direct and guide me as I teach, Help me to instruct clearly and accurately from your word and stay true to your text. And Father, explain it and that your Holy Spirit would take and make application in the lives of the people that are here. We do pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity and I pray this and ask this of you in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. This text begins here in verse 10. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. To start this whole thing off there in verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and a the word there was, the way it's in the Greek text is in the imperfect tense. What that simply means is if you if you're a note taker, you make a note out to the side, imperfect tense means it's not a completed act, but it's continual in nature. Okay? So what it's saying is this, the word, or he, because he's talking about the word of God, the logos of God, the word was continually in the world. In other words, the abiding presence of God. God's always been here, okay? Now, what this verse also tells you is this. We've already looked at the attributes of God, and one of the attributes is that God is eternal. And so when this text tells us that that the word or the he, the word, the true light, was in the world and he's always been in the world, it speaks of the infinite nature of him. All right? That's what it's speaking of. Speaking of his infinite status. Now, what you're going to see also is in verse 11, it says he came to his own and the significance of that passage is that's in the aorist tense and it denotes an event that is a completed act that that took place. So what verse 11 is saying, verse 11 is speaking to his incarnation and it's paralleling the passage in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, Jesus Christ is eternal God. He's always has been and he always will be. He, he is God Himself. And what he does is he steps into time and he becomes incarnated. He takes on a human body to veil his glory and to dwell among men. And he dwelt among us. Read what it says in 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word that is eternal is the word that becomes incarnate and dwells among us. And you're gonna see here in this passage, it says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. We already saw that, remember? If you look back at verse three, it says, all things were made through him, speaking of the word, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And we looked at various other passages that parallel that, that tell us that Jesus Christ was the creative agent that brought the creation into existence. All things were made through him, by him, and for him. That's his position, okay? Everything that exists comes from God, and he is the creator of it. And so we see here this passage is just reiterating that. He was in the world, and he's always been in the world, and the world was made through him, and then the bomb falls, and the world did not know him. Did not know him. His own creation did not know him. Now, we're gonna look in a little bit of why that is, but you see the irony in that statement? That his own creation did not know who he was. And what you have here in this passage also is you have the use of the word world three times. Verse 10. He was in the world. The world was made through him. And the world did not know him. The word there for world is the word cosmos is what it is. Cosmos. And almost every place in the Bible, the word is translated world. All right. And it means to order or adorn. Now, <clears throat> it's used like that over in First Peter 3.3 when it says women ought not to adorn themselves. That's the word cosmos. And so the word means to order or adorn, to put something in order, or to have an orderly universe, meaning that the, that the, the, the creation is orderly, okay? Something that is well-arranged is another way to look at it. Something that is well-arranged. So when you look at it in this passage here, and he speaks of the world, he said he was in the world, that's talking about the earth, okay? And then it says, and the world was made through him, that's talking about the whole creation or the world of creation, the created world. And then it says, and the world did not know him, what that's speaking of is the world of men. Okay? So you can see how it's used in different ways. The first and the second usage refer to earth, the third usage refers to humanity in general and how the, the human element of the world rejected him. Look over in John 3. Let's look at another passage. Look at John 3 and 18. John 3 18. It says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That use of world there means the world of humanity. It's not talking about that God created light like in creation. This light here is the light of God, the revelation of God. Because it says, and, and men love darkness rather than light. So it's speaking of the spiritual element or the world of humanity. And so you see here in this passage, that when all this takes place and Christ comes and He reveals Himself and He makes Himself known to the world, the world rejects Him. The world turns away from Him. The world wants nothing to do with Him. And that is the status of the world. The world is so geared and governed that it is against Him in everything. Now let's look at some different passages that relate to this. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. The world should have known him because it says in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You look in, in John, go back to the Gospel of John. I should have just stayed there instead of making jump over to Hebrews. But go to John 129. Says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Talking about the, the sin of the people that are there. So the word can be used in those different manners like that, different ways, if you will, it can be used because it speaks of sin is what it speaks of. Now, how could how could Christ create the world and having been in the world since the very beginning and yet the world does not know him? The world does not know him, number one, because sin blinds people to the truth of God. Sin blinds people. People are blind. The way the world responds to God, basically, is they're somewhat indifferent towards God. They just dismiss God in their daily life. They just look past him. I can function. I can live. Everything's fine until something bad happens. And it's like, hey, will you pray for me? For this situation here, or I need God to get me out of this, or if something bad happens, why did God do this to me? You live in a fallen world. God doesn't make the bad things in the world, the bad things in the world are a result of sin, you understand? And yet, God, in His sovereign position, can work through all that. But yet, people want to blame God. Turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul speaks of the church at Ephesus. And as he addresses the church there in verse 1 of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1. He says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses in sin. So what is he saying? Man is dead in his trespasses and sin. Now, what does that mean to be dead? How can man be dead if he's living? All right. The the idea of dead there means man does not respond to the things of God. Okay. It does not mean that man is not spiritual. And so what it's talking about in dead there, it's talking about man is spiritually dead. The Bible addresses physical death. Man will ultimately die physically because that's a consequence of sin. The Bible also speaks of eternal death. And what that simply means is that if a person dies without coming to faith in Christ, they are separated from God and they go to hell. Okay? And they suffer as a result of that. But there's another kind of death that the Bible speaks of, and it speaks of being dead spiritually. And spiritual death simply means you do not relate to God, the true and living God. It does not mean that you're not religious, because a lot of people that are dead to God are very religious people, because man is still spiritual. Hence, you have all the false religions in the world, including people that will operate in Christianity, and yet they do not have a relationship with God because they're appeasing the spiritual aspect of of who they are and what they are. But when light comes into the world, when God comes into the world, God is gonna give a revelation of himself that is greater than the creation. Because see, the creation of God, when you look at the creation, man, as it says in Romans 1.20, Man can know two things. Number one, that God is real or that he's there, that there is a God and that he's powerful. Man can know that. And when you look at the creation, you will get a sense of that. That may be you looking across the Grand Canyon. It may be you looking at a flower. It it may be looking at the stars. I remember when I was six years old, I'll never forget it. My mom and sisters had gone somewhere, and I was at home with dad. My dad was a research scientist, and he was always doing stuff like this. He had one of them gigantic telescopes, and he sets this telescope up, and he was showing me the, the different little uh, moons around Jupiter in that telescope. And he was telling me how far away it was, and I remember at that point in time, I was like, Wow. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in trouble, man. There's something out there that is pretty big. And I remember that. It was the first time that I had that I can recall a consciousness that there was a God. And it was, a, it was, it was scary. And I never struggled with it after I always believed that there was a God. But I never had a relationship with him. That kind of revelation is called general revelation. It is knowledge that there is a God, okay? And the Bible says that man is without excuse. Everyone gets that. And so people will say, well, how come if, if that's true, how come there's people that say there is no God? Because the Bible also says in that same passage in Romans that, that people suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. Yeah. Why would they do that? Because their deeds are evil. So if you can deny God, if you can get God out of the picture, then I can live and do what I want to do and it really doesn't matter. Okay? I got a friend that married a a professing atheist. Okay? Agnostic? Probably. Atheist? No. There is no such thing. An atheist talks more about God than anyone. And you will know an atheist, the minute you get around them, they'll tell you they're an atheist. All right? An atheist means no God. And yet, but they, they constantly talk about God. I said, why are you so fascinated about something that doesn't exist? And you're constantly arguing against it. There's a lot of things I don't believe exist, and, but I don't go around worrying about them. I just say, there's no such thing as that. That's, that's crazy thought to think of that. But anyway, she married to this guy, and then he all of a sudden she finds out he's doing all kinds of unsavory things. Uh, and, I, and she's upset about it. I said, why are you upset about that? I said, the guy claimed to be an atheist when you married him. He has no moral compass by his own admission. He's free to do whatever he wants to. He's not accountable to anything. Why would you want to put controls on him? Why would you want to rope him in? He told you what he was before you married him. And I know in deep in the recesses of that female mind, there is the idea, I can change him. That's innate in women. I can change him. I can train him like a poodle to where he will jump through my hoops and he will follow my every beckon command of mine. I said, not necessarily, man. A lot of animals, and that's the man, the animal. Resist training. They rear up against it. They're like an incalcitrant dog, man, trying to teach an old dog a new trick. It ain't going to happen. He ain't going to do it. All right? But see, that's the idea. People are spiritual. They have spiritual desires. They're, matter of fact, one of the growing things in our culture and society today is people that will say, I don't believe in God, but I'm spiritual. I'm serious, man. You'll see and you'll hear a whole lot more of that. People think like that. That's because man is blinded by his sin and he's dead in his sin. And see, the only way for a dead man to have a relationship with the living God is he's got to be born again. God has to bring his human spirit alive, the new birth. And when he brings his spirit alive, Then man can commune with God. And so Paul tells the church at Ephesus, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. But he goes on, he says something else. Verse three, he says, oh, I'm sorry, verse two. He says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. See, that is cosmos diabolicus. That's the fallen world, the system of thought that is anti-God, the system of thought that is against God. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So there's the second problem. The first problem is man is dead to the things of God. The second problem is man is deceived by the devil. The devil blinds man. Satan blinds man. Whatever terminology you want to use. Go to 2 Corinthians. And if you will, look in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 3 and 4. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. See, it takes special revelation into that person's life. And special revelation is the person of Jesus Christ. It's not that there's a God out there and you need to be good and fall in line with what he says. It's that there's a God out there. You can't do good. You can't fall in the line because he doesn't accept your works. He won't receive that. He says, I sent my son and my son did that. And you believe on my son and you receive credit for what my son did. Imputed righteousness is what you receive." Your human spirit is brought alive and God credits your account with his righteousness. But Satan blinds people's eyes to the truth. So you have two forces, man's dead because of sin. In addition to that, man is blind because of the work of the devil in his life. So let's go back to John one. It says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him." Now, that word know is an interesting word. The word there is gnosko, okay? And it means to acquire understanding or experiential knowledge, through experience to understand something. And then lastly, it's relational, okay? So when it it says that they did not know him, it means they had no relationship with him. They had no understanding of him. And that's what happens in Christianity. Your spirit is brought alive. God's spirit comes within you and you have a relationship with God. You relate to him. You interact with him. But it says, so when it says they didn't know him, that's what it's talking about. They had no relationship with him. Matter of fact, when you get to Jesus' high prayer in John 17, turn to John 17, Jesus said that's the whole basis of eternal life is to know God. John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. And John 17, 3, we'll get it up there, there we go, says this. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that know there denotes a relationship. He's not just saying that you know about God. He's talking about you have experiential relational knowledge of him. You understand him. You interact with him. And the only way you can have that kind of knowledge is to be in relationship with him. All right. So when you look at John 1.10, it says he was in the world. The world was made through him. And yet the world had no relationship to him. And you can answer the question now, why didn't the world have a relationship with God? Number one, they're dead to the things of God. Number two, they are blind. And so you've got to have special revelation. Someone has to share the gospel of the person that they have to believe. Okay? when you're brought into a relationship with him. Bible is very clear on that. Very clear. So then he comes to verse 11 and he says, He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now, there's, there could be some debate over who the own are here. One view goes like this. He came to his own and his own was the world that he created. But I take a different position and the position I take is that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. His own were the Jewish people. The people that were in covenant relationship with God. And I, and I hold to that for this reason. I think the Gentiles and the Jews both are in ten. What John's doing is he's narrowing it down in verse 11 to speak specifically of the Jewish people. If you follow the teachings in John, in John 1 all the way through 12 uh, 45 or whatever the last verse in 12 is, let's just say from John 1 through John 12, it shows the rejection of Christ by the Jewish people. And then in verses or in chapter 13 through the end of John. It shows Jesus preparing his disciples to go into the world with the light. To take the light of God into the world. I can show you in another place. Turn over to the book of Acts. And look in the book of Acts and you'll see something that Paul says. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And I want you to... Um, let me find my place here. Acts 13 and look if you would at verse 44 Acts 13 and 44 Acts chapter 13 verse 44 it says And the next sabbath almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God but when the Jews saw the multitudes they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you, but since you rejected it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So see that rejection continued past the time of Christ. God came to the Jews as their Messiah to present who he was and what did they do? They rejected him. They have rejected God ever since their, all throughout their existence. Go to Isaiah, go to Isaiah and look at Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah chapter one, this is when Isaiah uh, gets his first commission from God to go into the world. Isaiah 1, beginning in verse 1, Isaiah 1 1 says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear. O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. See, even though they were his covenant people, they still rejected him. And so when he comes into the world, his his own did not receive him. And they didn't receive the prophets. Later on, he's going to say in his ministry, he said, man, I wanted to gather you under my wings like a, like a hen, but you would not. You would not. For you are the people that kill the prophets. You stone the witness of God. And now ultimately, they're going to crucify Christ is what they're going to do. But this this not knowing God thing, all through scripture, look in the book of uh, Jeremiah. And look at Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah the seventh chapter, and look at verse twenty-five, and look what Jeremiah says to him. Jeremiah seven twenty-five, seven twenty-five. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I've even sent to you all my servants the prophets daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction, Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. He just makes it very clear to them, these people are not going to receive you. Go to Isaiah 53, probably one of the clearest passages. Talks about the suffering Messiah. This is a prophetic passage speaking to the person of Christ, beginning in the first verse of Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no former comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. And yet he created them. They reject him. They turn away from him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. See, it's a prophetic reference to Christ. Why was Christ crucified? He was crucified because it was part of God's eternal plan. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's why he was crucified. But in time, how did that play out? The Jews rejected him. The Gentiles rejected him. See, he was in the world and he came into the world his own did not receive him. Go back and look at John 1. Let me show you something else in that passage. John 1, 11. I, I said at the outset, I made this comment. I said when it says he came to his own, that word there is in the aorist tense. That means it's definite. It means a point in time. That verse right there is the same thing as verse 14, where verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 11 says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He was incarnated and he began his earthly ministry. And what did they do? They rejected him. They turned away from him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And so, Verse 10 talks about him being in the world since the creation, but that's not in his incarnated state. Verse 11 is where his incarnation begins. And what is the incarnation of Christ? Christ is the eternal God. And the eternal God takes on a human body to veil his glory and to live among men. The ultimate revelation of God. The ultimate demonstration of who God is. And you would think when he came to them and he did that, that they would say, wow, God has come. They didn't, they rejected him. And the whole first 12 chapters of John speaks about him being rejected by his own people. If you want to see a good clear picture of that, go to John 10. You may be wanting a good clear nap, but go ahead and turn. To John 1022. Alright, 1022, look what it says. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked into the temple on Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? Now it's very important that you understand what group this is. It says, the Jews. When John speaks of the Jews, what he's saying is the Jewish religious leaders. In other words, these are the ones that had the scriptures. They were the ones that studied the scriptures. They were the ones that should have recognized Christ and then turned to the people and say, this is the Messiah. There was one that did that. And that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, behold The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He proclaimed him. The Jews didn't do that. So they say, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And what's that saying? If you'll follow in the gospels, what you're gonna see in the gospels is Jesus will speak and proclaim truth to the people. And then as soon as he does that, he'll follow it up with miracles. The miracles were to authenticate the message, okay? Jesus didn't just randomly roam through the countryside, healing people to draw a crowd. He healed people and he did miracles walking on water, feeding people, turning water to wine, all this stuff. He did that to authenticate who he is and who he was. That was a very third world existence in that day and time. There were not many doctors. My wife and I were talking the other day about this question that had come up. And I said, you realize that when Jesus lived, he didn't heal every person that was sick. There's places in the Bible it says, and the multitudes were healed. Or he dealt with multiple... But but he, his ministry went on for a, an extended period of time, a four-year period. He's walking around uh, doing all this stuff. He's walking by people all the time that are sick that he doesn't anything with. That's not why he came. He didn't come to do that. He came to present himself as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's something far more important than physical condition of man it's man's spiritual condition and you got to figure living in that day and time if you're wearing glasses you would have been one of those people because without your glasses you can't see right or it's difficult to see and that day and time there were a lot of people were classified as blind simply because they couldn't see because of eye problems there was all kinds of infirmities and Christ didn't heal all them people that's not why he came he came, came present himself as the Lamb of God, and he would do miracles to authenticate the message. Probably the ultimate is in Matthew 12. I'm not going to turn to it, but in Matthew 12, he, he heals a man that was mute and dumb. I mean, he couldn't speak, he couldn't talk, he couldn't see. and Jesus heals him in front of the religious leaders, and they said, "You did that by the power of the devil." See, they rejected it because what is he doing? He's authenticating who he is. And and the miracle was to testify to the fact that he is Jesus Christ. And so if you say the miracle is not valid, then what you're saying is you're really not God. We reject you. See, they weren't just rejecting the miracle, they were rejecting the person that did the miracle because they said you're the devil is what you are. You're not God, you're the devil. And he says, you can be forgiven a lot of things, but to do that, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit by whom the miracles were done, there's no salvation for you. You never be forgiven of that. You can never be forgiven if you reject Christ. And that's what they're doing. They're rejecting Christ is what they're doing. And that's what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. It's rejecting Christ. And he says, you have rejected the only means of salvation there is. You can be forgiven of everything, but rejected me. But nevertheless, they still did it. Okay. So when he speaks to these people, that's what he's telling them here. In John 10, he says, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. They bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep as I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Here are the sheep, the believers, okay? Are you a sheep? If you're a believer, you're a sheep, okay? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch him out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. What he's saying is, I am God. He's proclaiming that to them. And do, do these Jews rejoice over that? No, look what they do. And the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? Because he's claiming to be God. And they understand what he's doing. And then Jesus answered them. He said, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself God. They understood what he was saying. Clearly understood what he was saying. You're claiming to be God. We reject you. Jesus answered them. Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? Little g. And he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent in the world, Jesus Christ, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. It's not that Jesus is a sneaky, sly little sneaky thing that got away from them. It's that it wasn't time for him to die. You're not going to kill me. I'm going to a cross die for the sin of the world. See, that's God's eternal plan. And these people couldn't even capture him. Try as they may, they couldn't get him. And he went away again beyond the Jordan, a place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. And then many came to him and said, John performed no sign. But all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. So you see, the Jews, go back to John 1. The Jews rejected him outright. And that's what John's saying in verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. See, the world rejects Christ Out of ignorance. Okay? They just don't know. But the Jews rejected him out of unbelief. They had the truth and they just chose not to believe it. And there's a difference between those two. A very big difference. But it says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Now what you're going to see next week is that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God. And what we're back to is that what? That relational or that relationship that a person has with God. Knowing God is not something that's done strictly with your head. Knowing God is something that is experiential and relational is what it is. That's the difference. The Jews had all the knowledge in the world, but they had no relationship with him. And he'd tell you over in the book of Hebrews, the reason being is they never mixed it with faith. They chose to not believe is what they did. A relationship with a living God is found through the person of Jesus Christ. It is through Christ that a person can have a relationship with God. Because as a sinful person dead in my sins, blinded to the truth of God, God can bring my spirit alive and draw me in a relationship with him when I believe. The Jews chose unbelief. But when I believe, God brings me. Now, how does that happen? It happens because my sin is paid for on the cross. And then i receive the imputed or transferred righteousness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I can be just as righteous as God. Because, see, if you're not as righteous as God, you can't dwell in the presence of God. And you could say, try as you might, you can't work that up. Because everything that proceeds out of human works is affected by sin. And God does not accept sin. Amen. Now see, if I try to do good, like I help some kid across the street, and I say, well, I did my good deed for the day, God will be happy with That merits no favor with God. Right. Because that deed was done from me, and therefore it's affected by sin. So what I do is I come before God and I say, God, there's nothing I can do. There's no, you won't accept anything that I put before you. And God says, accept my son. Accept my son. My son did it all. My son was sinless. He was incarnated and put on the earth as a sinless man. And he lived on earth as a sinless man under the law. And he kept the law. And then when he went to the cross, he could go to the cross as a perfect sacrifice because he had never committed sin. And when he died on that cross, your sin was transferred to his account. He became your sin bearer. He is God's lamb that was sent. God's lamb to atone for my sin. In addition to that, see that takes a sin issue out of the way, but in addition to that, when I'm in relationship with him, I get the transferred righteousness of Jesus Christ. I get righteousness transferred to my account that has kept all of the law. And so therefore I can stand before God as being perfectly righteous and not having any sin because I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ. But when he came, the world didn't receive him. And the world he created rejected him. They said, we don't nothing to do with that man. Matter of fact, you, you watch when he gets to his crucifixion, they're offered the opportunity to spare him. You know what they do? They said, no, nope, we're not going to spare him. We're going to crucify him. He's going to die, but you can let that bum Barabbas loose. We'll take him instead. They were willing to take a, a murdering thief in the place of the righteous God. That's how dark and evil the heart of man is. And that's why man needs redemption. And that's what God's going to reveal here. He's rejected by, by the world. and all through John, you're going to see rejection, rejection, rejection. But in the midst of that, you know what you're going to see, you're going to see people that receive him and come into that relationship. Same thing's true today. world rejects him, but God draws people to himself. Have you, in your own life, do you have a relationship with him? Because it is relational through the person of Christ. It's not because you're good and you keep a list of rules or whatever. It's because you have trusted in Christ and you believe that Christ died for your sin. And you have believed on him. That's what salvation is. There is salvation in none other but the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to me except through the... No one will come to the Father except through me. You think about that. It's relational. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for your people. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this life. And God, I pray that if there's one here today that does not know you, they would join into that relationship by believing on Jesus Christ. Father, you are truly good and gracious to your people. And we thank you for all the many blessings we have. We thank you for your goodness and grace in our life. And we pray, Father, as we go this time of invitation, that you be honored in it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.